We are halfway through a seven-week series. This is week four of a seven-week series entitled The Jesus Revolution. And if you're with us this morning or you're watching and you are new to Jesus or, or you don't consider yourself a Christian, a special welcome to you this morning. This series is for everyone, but it's especially for you. We're taking seven weeks to consider seven themes, equality, compassion, consent, enlightenment, science, freedom, and progress. These are all taken from a book by Glenn Scrivener, who's a pastor and evangelist in the UK. The book is called The Air We Breathe. It's a book that Pastor Matthew read over the summer. I just had a chance to complete it over the weekend, and it really is a fantastic survey of the way that the Jesus Revolution has had an impact on our culture. So I recommend it to you. But Glenn Scrivener argues that most people, at least in the West, believe and assume that these seven themes are good ideas. They're part of what makes a good life and a good society, and in fact, they have become the air that we breathe. We don't even really criti think critically about it anymore. It's just part of our lives. And I expect that most of us would agree, no matter our faith background, that they are good. And yet, many people don't realize the soil that these ideas have grown in. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, we're asking you to consider how essential the Jesus revolution was in introducing these themes, which we consider today to be almost self-evident and certainly indisputably good in the world. As Matthew said each week, I think that if we follow these breadcrumbs back to their source, we're not going to find ourselves at the temple of human ingenuity. We will encounter Jesus of Nazareth. So I invite you just to pray with me as we enter into this topic together. Jesus, you describe yourself as the light of the world. Today we pray that you would enlighten us, that you would give us greater understanding of the air that we breathe. And more than that, Jesus, we ask that we would meet you today. Amen. Well, today we're talking about enlightenment. And just now we sang that song. I can barely ever get through that last song without choking up. It's so powerful. But it begins with these words, do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Don't those lyrics express our hope for enlightenment? The dark won't stop the light from getting through. Think of all the ways that we express that expectation in our culture today. We assume that the light of reason and evidence should conquer the darkness of ignorance and prejudice. We assume that thinking for yourself is better than having an, an authority think for you. We assume that education and literacy for everyone is a good thing. We're called to come awake, some would call it being woke, to the injustices and inequalities of our world if we want to move forward. And certainly none of us want to be found on the wrong side of history. All these demonstrate that we're living in the after effects of some kind of enlightenment. So where did this idea come from? 
Well, some would say it begins with an accusation. See, by the 18th century, the Protestant Reformation had fragmented Christendom, and there had been a century of wars that were allegedly over religion. And there were certain European thinkers who had had enough, and they began proposing this new view of history that still reverberates today. They alleged that when the Christian church took over after the fall of the glorious empire of Rome, we entered the Dark Ages. They saw themselves standing on the hinge of a, a great change in history. Thomas Paine called it the Age of Reason. It was the Enlightenment. Gilbert Murray was an early 20th century humanist, and he spoke of the Dark Ages like this. Truth was finally made hopeless when the world, mistrusting reason, wary of arguments and wonder, flung itself passionately under the spell of a system of authoritative revelation which acknowledged no truth outside itself and stamped free inquiry as sin. They asserted that the Christian church had been a force for ignorance, coercion, nonsensical dogma, and rigidity. But now, humanity was growing up and leaving its caretakers behind. And so we hear the, this thought in the, in the words of the 18th century German philosopher Immanuel Kant, enlightenment is man's leaving his self-caused immaturity. Immaturity is the incapacity to use one's intelligence without the guidance of another. You can see in this visual here the picture that they were painting. There had been this vast thousand-year childhood of intellectual darkness under Christianity, and then a sudden awakening to this ignorance, and now the maturing of our intellectual capacities. The Enlightenment was this hinge between an age of darkness and an age of light. And this narrative forces a choice. You can live in ignorance and prejudice and superstition in religion on the wrong side of history, or you can join the wise, mature, enlightened philosophers on the right side of history. This view was echoed by the new atheists in the 21st century. Sam Harris wrote in Letter to a Christian Nation, it's time we admitted that faith is nothing more than the license religious people give one another to keep believing when reasons fail. But it's not just error that concerned these critics. Christopher Hitchens leveled these criticisms at Christianity. In his book, God is Not Great, Violent, Irrational, intolerant, allied to racism and tribalism and bigotry, invested in ignorance and hostile to free inquiry, contemptuous of women and coercive toward children, organized religion ought to have a great deal on its conscience. Maybe where you're at today, you have questions about this. Maybe you've been a Christian, but you encounter this darkness and you think, is this really what Christianity is about? Am I, am I missing something? Am I ignorant? Or maybe you've been checking out Jesus, but you fear that embracing Jesus would make you an ignorant person and put you in darkness. Well, I want to encourage you to keep listening. 
Before we evaluate this kind of light and dark kind of view of history, we have to admit where Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens were right. There are many ways in which Christians have abandoned the Jesus revolution they profess to represent. Christians have been agents of darkness as much as any empire in history. Christians have sometimes poisoned the simplicity of the message with superstition and folk religion. Religion and military ambition have made a volatile mix over the centuries. There certainly have been too many church leaders who were unspeakably corrupt and greedy, sexually immoral and abusive. The church often enmeshed missionary zeal with colonial expansion or the defense of chattel slavery or they sponsored the attempted eradication of indigenous peoples. In the past century, Christian fundamentalism is rightly known for being fearful of science and honest inquiry. And of course, we've seen even just in the last decade that the entanglement of Christianity and nationalism and politics has not been a good thing for the faith. Christopher Hitchens is not wrong. There has been darkness in Christian history in every stream, in every denomination. And yet, there are holes in the Enlightenment narrative. More and more, historians have come to question it. First, the majority of people in the Roman Empire would not have thought of themselves living in a golden age. As we've been learning through the other messages, movements for truth and reconciliation with oppressed people or a hashtag me too or hashtag some kind of life matters movement would have gained no traction in the Roman Empire. And in the Roman world, they would have appealed to magic and fate and gods just as much as they would have appealed to science. Secondly, the age of reason, so to speak, did not bring the promised age of brotherhood and equality and liberty that they promised. Noble philosophical ideas and scientific knowledge have been tools for good, but they've also been tools of oppression and war and prejudice. Poverty and inequality still plague our advanced societies. Today, we are just as good at ruining ourselves as we are at healing ourselves. And third, today, even the philosophy of the Enlightenment is being questioned. Some would say we are really living in an age of absurdity. Truth is relative. Language is a power game. All the institutions need to be torn down and rebuilt from the ground up based on, I don't know, we can't figure that out yet. And all kinds of superstition seems to be still very attractive to people. We still seem to be groping about in the dark. And yet we keep believing that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through. Where did this confidence that reason should triumph over ignorance really come from? I want to suggest that we've inherited these desires from the Jesus revolution. So I want us to consider the Bible's enlightenment story. You can turn with me into the, to the gospel of John in the New Testament. He begins his story of the life of Jesus with these words. In the beginning was the Word, 
The Greek word is logos, from which we get words like logic. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What the Romans believed about the world was not something that gave a lot of meaning or order or security. For ancient people, what John wrote here was a new explanation for existence. But with all the early followers of Jesus, John asserted that creation came into existence through the purpose and the love of the Creator, and it came specifically through His Word. His Word was light for life in the same way that the sun or the moon was light for the world. And what was this Word? Well, it wasn't just an idea or a philosophy. This Word was a person. This person is a light who showed humanity how to live in a good way in the real world. Now, the Bible tells us how humans turned away from the light of all mankind. And as a result, humans were plunged into darkness. One New Testament writer, the Apostle Paul, describes what a world in darkness looks like. Worst case scenario. In his letter to the Romans, chapter 1. Verse 21, he says, Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Down to verse 28, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Wow, Paul. (laughs) That's an intense vision of what's going on. Is he extreme? Well, all we have to do is look at certain parts of the world today or look back at the last century, and he's not that extreme. We've seen our share of worst-case scenarios. Whenever people deliberately stop respecting the Creator, when they start to shape religion in their own image or they, they decide that we can just make our own system They can soon be found destroying themselves and others. Hearts become numb to conscience or pity. Life becomes a darkness of fear and every man for himself. And on a personal level, it becomes addiction and abuse. Globally, it becomes empire and genocide. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But then we read again in John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word, God's will, God's logic became flesh and made His dwelling among us. 
We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. See, early followers of Jesus were giving testimony to things that they observed and experienced. When they wrote, they were using their intelligence, not superstition, to make sense of their encounters with Jesus. They said, we saw Him, we heard Him, we touched Him, we tasted the things that He brought. In Jesus, they'd seen what a life lit by God looks like. And when you read the accounts that His followers give us of the life of Jesus, you would be amazed by His life of compassion and kindness, wisdom, and sacrificial love. You'll be amazed how timeless and applicable his moral teachings are. But in one of his public teachings, in John chapter 8, Jesus spoke these words. Verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Notice the kind of light that Jesus describes himself as being. He's not a light like the sun, you know, that just completely blows away the darkness, puts it away. And he's not just a stationary light that's set up in one room and everybody has to go to it. What kind of light is he? Well, notice you have to follow him to have the light. That means he's a light on the move. Where he goes, the light goes. So if you want light in this stubborn darkness, you need to follow Jesus. What we have called being an apprentice with Jesus. Jesus teaches you to love God with your heart and soul and mind and strength. He warns you to discern between true enlightenment and dark counterfeits. When you're on the move with Jesus, you see Him lit by God's law of love for everyone, the poor, the marginalized, the judged, and even enemies. And eventually you see the extent of His love in His death on the cross. I am the light of the world, He says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have their life enlightened. And even more, people who follow Jesus become like Him. That's why in His Sermon on the Mount, He told His followers, you are the light of the world. I am the light of the world, you are the light of the world. Being with Jesus, they would be lit up to be lights on the move in the stubborn, dark world that they lived in. The dark can't stop the light from getting through. So, was it human philosophers unshackled from the church's dogma who finally lit the way out of ignorance? Or was it Jesus who rescued us from darkness? Well, in the centuries between the Jesus Revolution and our own day, we for sure see a continually dark world. Every century has its share of wars and oppression and ignorance and deceit and corruption, absolutely. 
But as we follow the breadcrumbs, let's consider our final evidence against the myth of this enlightenment that changed the world from dark to light. You see, all the way through history, there is this strong and unbroken stream of light that begins in the Jesus revolution and flows through to today. It's a light that is carried by men and women who are inspired by Jesus to work for the good of humanity in every sphere of life. And I want to give a few examples. And admittedly, I'm an amateur historian. I do love this stuff, and I've, I've tried to gather it in, and I, there's so much I can't share with you here. But I just want to give you a little bit of a picture of our history. First of all, when was the real age of reason? Well, first of all, I think more and more people over the centuries have discovered that when you come to the Bible and you really take it seriously, it is pretty full of deep thoughts, absolutely. But even by, beyond that, by the mid-second century, tens of thousands of pages of essays and books and letters were being written by Christian thinkers. Their work is highly intelligent. I've tried to wade through it, and it's, it's pretty deep stuff. It wrestles with faith from every angle. It seeks to refute all the pagan critics that came against them, and, in, and some heretics as well. Listen to the words of Augustine of Hippo, who lived in the 4th and 5th centuries, and his writings perhaps influenced the West more than any other writer. He once wrote this, Dear reader, whenever you're as certain about something as I am, go forward with me. Whenever you hesitate, seek with me. Whenever you discover that you've gone wrong, come back to me, or if I have gone wrong, Call me back to you. In this way, we will travel along the street of love together as we make our way toward him of who it is said, seek his face always. Does that sound like reason is being discarded or suppressed? I love the picture you get there of just seeking after knowledge and not just as a detached thing, but as an act of worship, an act of love. It's beautiful. And many incredible Christian writers wrote from those earliest centuries through to the 17th century when the Enlightenment allegedly happened and all the way through to today. Their thoughts on epistemology, right? How we know, and ethics, and politics, and spirituality, human rights, medicine, logic, metaphysics, and more still shape our thoughts today in ways we are probably not even aware Beginning in the 6th century, Christian monasteries began to emerge, and they were at the forefront of developing European architecture, agriculture, the infrastructure of roadways and waterways, literacy, artistic culture, healthcare, and economic growth. The church was also instrumental in birthing the first universities in Europe as early as the 10th century. All those works, the monasteries and the universities all laid this groundwork for security and health and education in Europe that, in which thinking and invention and creativity could thrive even more. European languages flourished because Christians applied themselves to the translation of the Bible and to many other great works and then wrote on them and wrote more things. Most of Western literature today is haunted by the language and the principles of the Bible. 
Medieval Christians were the first to develop music with harmony and musical notation, and a visit anywhere in Europe demonstrates how much the arts flourished in the soil of Christianity long before the Enlightenment. This summer, I stood in the room of the Signatura, which is in the Apostolic Palace of the Vatican in Rome. And in that room are four amazing frescoes painted by Raphael between 1509 and 1511. One of them is called the Disputato. You can see it here. It depicts leaders of the church of Raphael's time reasoning and disputing and trying to figure out the meaning of the Lord's Supper, of the Eucharist, as they are watched over by the saints in heaven who are with Jesus. On the opposite wall is the fresco called the School of Athens. It's a tribute to dozens of philosophers and inventors and creatives, Christian and pagan, who are trying to understand their world. And then another fresco over the door depicts the arts as, a communic- as communicators of God's beauty, especially poetry. It's just celebrating all the ways that we use language to communicate beauty. And finally, there's a fresco communicating the, the virtues, the things that ought to be deep in the character of people who reflect the image of God. 200 years Before the Enlightenment, these Christian frescoes communicated how important it was to embrace all the ways that God shines His light in the world. Now, if you have questions about science, maybe you're thinking about Galileo and his whole argument with the church, you're going to have to come back next week to hear about that. But I do want to give you a quote from Francis Bacon, who's considered the founder of the modern scientific method. He said, a little philosophy inclineth man's mind to atheism, but depth in philosophy bringeth men's minds about to religion. Interesting. A scientist. Now, as we have already said, there were many dark periods in the church full of corruption and complacency. But the other thing that you will always find as you look through history is that in those moments, there are always faithful apprentices of Jesus who lived as Jesus lived. There was always an individual or a community calling the institutional church to account and sparking renewal and reformation. The Mennonite movement that this church is part of a stream of was one of those groups of people that said, we have to just start opening up our Bible again and studying it and obeying Jesus. And the Mennonite brethren that we're part of in the 1850s and 1860s were part of a a, a kind of a stagnant Mennonite community, and they suddenly discovered the life of Jesus, the life of the Holy Spirit, and the truth of Scripture again, and they were renewed and called their community again to be true disciples of Jesus. This is true throughout the church in so many denominations. So we have this persistent expectation that the dark can't stop the light from getting through. And I believe that this expectation of enlightenment comes from the life of the one who called himself the life, the light of the world. And through all the dark ages of, of, of history, you can see this trickle and sometimes a stream and sometimes even a wide river of light flowing through the darkness It's people following Jesus, the light of the world. So what could this mean for us today? 
Do you feel the world is broken? Yeah, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? Absolutely, we do. We feel it in the big issues of our world and we feel it in our own lives. But do you know that all the dark can't stop the light from getting through? We do. How do we know this? When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, is living today. His light breaks through in so many important ways. First, I believe Jesus' light gets through as an echo. It echoes in every person's conscience. It echoes in every way that any person uses their reason and creativity to bring good for others. It echoes in the legacy of His life and teachings that remain embedded in our culture. The dark can't stop the light from getting through. Second, His light gets through in His genuine followers. Men and women in every sphere of society are deeply motivated by their Christian faith to do their work well as worship with integrity for the good of humanity. They are lights of reconciliation, healing, creativity, learning, advocacy, rescue, sustainability, worship, and freedom wherever they are. That's what we are seeking to be here at North Langley Community Church. The light can't stop the dark from getting through. Third, his light gets through in the words of the Bible. Countless followers of Jesus have been transformed miraculously by their encounter with Scripture. I know I have. In spite of many attempts to destroy it and discredit it and repress it or misrepresent it, the dark has not stopped the light of the Bible from getting through to the world. And finally, His light is getting through because He is the light. He is the light. The powers of darkness brought everything they had against Jesus, even taking His life. And yet even then, the dark couldn't stop the light from getting through. Jesus rose from the dead. Out of the darkness of the grave, He broke out like a dawn over the new creation. So we know Him as a living person, the light of life for anyone who would follow Him. He is faithfully piercing the darkness that surrounds us with the light of His love and wisdom and healing. You being here today, you watching today, is a sign that the dark can't stop the light from getting through. Jesus has been a light for my life since before I can remember. God has wired me to be the kind of person who loves learning and ideas and reason and clear thinking. I hope that's come through this morning. And I have experienced Jesus and His teachings to be, some, to, to, to be the most sensible, clarifying, convicting insights that I have ever encountered. But more than that, there are so many times when I have reached the limits of my ingenuity and my, my understanding, 
and times when I've doubted, and in those times, so often I have felt Jesus as a real person with me, shining light into my life and giving me understanding I couldn't have before. Jesus truly is the light of my life. I would love to talk to you about that if you had questions about it. What's the darkness in your life? What would be enlightenment for you? Has the wisdom of this world brought you true freedom? Has it given you a satisfactory explanation for why you were here? Will your own reason and ingenuity be your rescue? Or could it be time to consider Jesus? Maybe you've lived with a deep suspicion that to embrace Christianity would mess you up. It would make you an ignorant person and bring darkness to life. But what if we have more to thank Jesus for than we ever imagined? What if the goodness that you experience in your life today is actually a gift from Him? The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from God, from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I do have a word for those of us who are Christians. I think Christians over the centuries have earned the just criticism of the world. And specifically, sometimes Christians have been suspicious of worldly influence. And they've disengaged themselves from science and technology and philosophy and the arts and the world, so to speak. Certainly the Mennonite tradition is guilty of that sometimes. When we do that, I think we're forgetting our roots and the legacy of our great Christian history, the people who've come before us. I hope this message encourages you that that is not necessary to do. There's a great foundation in the Bible and a great legacy in the church for a rich engagement in thought and culture. We certainly shouldn't be agents of darkness and ignorance. As an act of worship to the Creator, we should apply all of our intellectual faculties, our skills, our curiosity, and our compassion to our work in every kind of work there is to do. We should be agents of enlightenment Some of the best thought leaders, teachers, writers, creators, inventors, and problem solvers that there are, guided by the Bible, guided by great thinkers, including Christian ones, guided by Jesus, who is the one who holds the world together. Now that said, you don't have to be an intellectual genius to be the light of the world. The most powerful light that the world needs is not an idea, it's not a philosophy, it's not a book. It's simply this, the sacrificial love of Jesus. At its greatest moments of enlightenment, that's what the church has been, an agent of love. And that's the call on our lives as well. So what might it mean for Jesus to shine his light into your life today? And what might it mean for you to be led by Jesus to be the light of the world in your workplace, classroom, neighborhood, 
local coffee shop, living room. As we close, I want to remind you, if there's a way that you need light to shine into your life today, our prayer team is available. would love to pray with you this morning. I would love to talk to you afterwards as well or later this week. This is an invitation for us to let the light shine into our lives. See, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you today as the, as the word, the one in whom everything was made, the one who holds all things together. That makes you the smartest person who's ever lived. And Lord, we confess the ways that we have walked in ignorance, the ways we've ignored your light, the ways we've twisted it so it looks like something else. The ways that we have wanted to live in ignorance and we failed to acknowledge you or to give thanks to you and the ways that has twisted us. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would shine your light into us today and free us from the ignorance that comes from that rejection of you. Even though the darkness hides you sometimes, Lord, you are a great God. You are the light of the world. So, Lord, teach us to follow you so that we would never walk in darkness. Show us how you desire to be the light of our lives today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.